Well, good morning, everyone. I get the privilege of introducing you today to Jason Foreman, our new adult ministry pastor, or, yeah, yeah. I notice more and more people have been referring to adult ministry pastor just as AMP. And so he is our new AMP, and we are excited to have him here. Uh, Nathan, maybe as our family ministry pastor, doesn't want to be called FUMP. Let's just stick with AMP. We're excited to have you here. So happy to be here, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jason is from the Chicago area, and he and Kenny get along really well. But today, when the Bears and the Packers are playing one another, they're not friends. Uh, they may not speak today. They'll wait till tomorrow to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for your work last week as well yeah. with the Vikings. Uh, Jason, tell us about who we see in the picture up here. One, one of those people is you, right? Yeah, hopefully you can tell which one is me in that picture. Um, on the far left, uh, holding our oldest son, Cyrus. He's almost three years old. Um, and then Rowan, uh, seven months old, is being held by uh, my beautiful wife, Jessica. Uh, we've been married for eight years now. And um, this picture was taken in Eden Prairie. Chicago doesn't really look like that. Um, it's a lot more flat. Uh, so the only hills we have are the bridges that go over roads. And so um, that's, yep, that's in Eden Prairie at my in-law's house. Uh, so Jessica's family lives in the area. My family lived in Chicago. So it's, uh, the Lord was gracious when he moved us from Chicago and sent us out somewhere to bring us close to family once again. And uh, you, as, as you spend some time at in-laws and as you get used to Friendship Church, have your family with you this morning, is that correct? Yes. So okay, and so they, they may are. see your family around? Yes, you they, may see my family this morning up in, the, uh, up in the children's ministry, and my wife's out here in the congregation. She doesn't like to get pointed out yeah, from yeah, the yeah. front, so yep. you can try to find her on your own. I'm not going to point to her at all, okay? You could... You can see if you meet her. Otherwise, absolutely point from a distance, whisper back and forth. That'd be great. Uh, Jason is going to oversee adult ministries like our life groups, our outreach ministries, men's and women's ministry, missions. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're excited about coming to Friendship Church, Jason. Uh, so getting to have my hands in and, and be a part of all that God is doing here in those different things that Matt just um, outlined, the, the different contexts of ministry I love to see um, people uh, taking steps of faith following Jesus and coming alongside people as they do that. Um, and so it's been so encouraging for me to hear how God is already at work um, here at Friendship Church. And that's what I want to be about is just seeing what God is doing um, and jumping in and being a part of that. I was really encouraged at the men's bonfire on Friday. I got to connect with a bunch of folks there. I remember maybe five names from that night, so I'm sorry. Uh, you'll have to introduce yourselves again. But I loved hearing what God is doing. I'm a very uh, relational person, um, and so it was great to start making those connections and, and starting to, to do life and, and hear how, um, how God is just doing things here. And so really looking forward to being able to do that with you all. As your church family, how can we be praying for you and for Jessica and for the kids? Yeah, that's um, the, the biggest thing for us right now is our, our housing 
Uh, when we moved up here a couple of weeks ago, we had no prospects on the sale of our house back in the Chicagoland area. Um, and so it was a little bit of a, a step of faith to say, okay, what are you going to do here, God? And, and fortunately, God was gracious and, and gave us an offer with a quick close um, back in the Chicagoland area. So we will be closing that at the end of the month here. So just continued prayer for that uh, so that we're no longer distracted and, and no longer burdened by that. Um, we're, we're living in a friend's basement right now in South Bloomington, and that's working out well for us, but it's not uh, an ideal long-term solution. I mean, it would save us a lot of money, so that's great, but um, with, <laughs> with the two young kids, it's, uh, it, it is what it is there, and um, so it, just prayer for God to lead us um, to a house that we can raise our family and have that be a, a hub of ministry, that, that it truly would be uh, for the Lord and dedicated to the Lord. If you would lift, that, lift our family up in this season, that would be great. Yeah. So if you have a house for sale, or if you have a house you'd just like to give them, they'd be willing to take that too. Absolutely. Well, friends, we want to pray for uh, Jason and for Jessica and for the kids. And I, I just invite you, as I lay my hand on Jason, if you just want to extend your hand forward as a symbol of your participation in this. Father, we're so thankful for what you have done in order to bring Jason and Jessica here. What a blessing it is to look back at the way your hand led and guided the process the whole way through. It is a joy to see the way that you've equipped and gifted their family and Jason to lead these ministries. And we do want to pray for your provision for them, that your hand would be with them. Uh, we're thankful for the sale of their house that has happened just in the last few days. And we pray that you would lead them to a place that they can use in order to minister and raise their family. Uh, we pray that you would continue to bless this family with more of your presence and Lord, with, with your peace and your joy during this moving and transition season, again, we're thankful for them and for the way that you brought us into connection with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Very exciting. We keep praying for them as a church family, as uh, God's at work in their life and uh, as they continue, as Jason in particular continues to learn all of your names, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take him like three or four weeks, so be patient with him <laughs> until he gets everyone, okay? We're in the middle of a sermon series called Jesus Revealed, where we are looking at the Gospel of Mark. And with each account in the Gospel of Mark, we are having revealed to us more and more of who Jesus is, his nature and his character, and how we're called to respond to him and respond to who Jesus is. We got off to a great start last week as we looked at the first 13 verses of the book, and we saw in the first verse itself a declaration that this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. He is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. What a wonderful summary that is about who Jesus is, and that is what our church believes about him. Everybody believes in Jesus in some way. Some believe Jesus was a, a teacher of good morals. I saw a young lady on the video this last week who was on a college campus who believed that Jesus was a, a chauvinist, sexist pig. Right? Others believe that Jesus was a social reformer, changing the political landscape of his day. 
But the Bible's teaching is summarized well in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Who is he? He is Jesus, Yahweh's salvation. He is the one who saves from their sins, Matthew 1, 21. Who is he? He's the, the Christ, the anointed delivering king, the king of kings, the one to whom all are called to submit. Who is he? He's the son of God, God in the flesh. As the father is divine, the son is divine. And he is God come to be with us. And this is a wonderful summary of who Jesus is, and it is what this church believes about Jesus. And you can be reminded that this is what our church believes about Jesus every time you look at our church logo. Right? What's our church logo? It looks something like this. Right? What, what is the name of this? For, for years, I've just called it the Christian fish. Right? Some people put the Christian fish on the back of their cars in order to identify themselves as followers of Jesus. I am way too bad a driver to do that. Uh, Jesus does not need to be blamed for my bad driving, and so I have never put one of those on the back of my car. But for 2,000 years, this has been a marker that people have used in order to identify themselves as followers of Jesus. From the earliest days, Jesus' followers used this to identify themselves with Christ. The early persecuted church would mark it on the outside of homes or in the ground in front of caves where they would meet in order to identify their meetings. Right? Why a fish? Some of you out there right now are like, I don't even like fish. Tastes disgusting. Right? Why a fish? As that symbol for followers of Jesus. Well, there are a number of different accounts in the Gospels where fish Fishermen play a significant role. We're actually going to see one of those today. But the use of this symbol goes well beyond the fish and the fishermen in the Gospels. The use of this term has to do with the very identity of who Jesus is. Right? What's the Greek name for this symbol? It's a, that's right, it's an ichthus. Why did they use this particular symbol? Because of that name, ichthus, which is the Greek word for fish. So they chose that Greek word for fish, ichthus, and the symbol that went with it because they were able to make an acrostic using each Greek letter that talked about the true identity of who Jesus is. If we take that acrostic and we translate it into English, it says this, he is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, right? That's a typo. My fingers got away from me here. Son of God, not Song of God. He is the Son of God and the Savior. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And they used this acrostic in order to say, this is who he is. This is why we follow him. Because he's not just some good guy. Who is he? He's Jesus, the Christ. He's the Savior. He's the anointed King of Kings. He's Son of God come in the flesh. That's who the church 2,000 years ago said Jesus is. And that is who we proclaim Jesus to be. And you can tell by our logo. That's who we say that he is. So how do we respond to him? The Gospel of Mark is filled with revelation and response. Revelation and response. More and more about who Jesus is and then how people respond to him. More and more about who Jesus is and how they respond to him. And today... 
Having seen who Jesus is, we're going to look at how Jesus calls us to respond to him. Now, if Jesus was just some guy, even a really, really good guy, who cares what he calls us to? Who cares how we respond to him? But because he is the Savior, because he is the delivering king, because he is God in the flesh, it matters his call on our life and how we respond to him. And we start with the primary message that Jesus came to bring. His primary call in our lives is repent and believe. Repent and believe. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. John the Baptist has fulfilled his role as forerunner. He's now arrested, and this arrest is going to lead to his death. And so John, having fulfilled his role, Jesus now comes into Galilee, and he begins to proclaim the good news. And what is the good news? What is the gospel? That it is time. The time is here. The time is fulfilled. The Greek word here for time is not the word uh, chronos, which means the passing of time. It is the Greek word kairos, which means a specific and very important moment in time. And so Jesus says this is that important, significant moment in time that everyone has looked forward to, that everything has pointed to. Genesis chapter 3, at the beginning of the Bible, there was a Savior who was promised who would overcome evil. Here we are at the revelation of that Savior. Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is promised a seed through whom all nations would be blessed. Here we are. Deuteronomy 18, Moses is promised a future mouthpiece who would speak the very words of God. Here we are. Isaiah 53, Isaiah is promised a suffering servant who would die for people's sins. Here we are. Psalm 16, David is promised a king of kings who would rise from the dead and defeat sin and death. Here we are. This is that moment in time. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, his coming is the moment that all of the prophets and all the Old Testament saints looked forward to. Everything pointed to this. And it pointed to this because this is the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. Sometimes when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God, he speaks about the culmination of the kingdom of God that is in the future. That time when everything is perfectly subject to King Jesus. He talks about a future banquet in the kingdom, and it looks forward to that time. But there are other times when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, when he is talking about the initiation of the kingdom that was initiated when he came. In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, he says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's right here, right now. Why? Because the king is here. Jesus came. He is establishing his kingdom. People are entering into it by submitting to the king. And how do people enter into the kingdom of God? Repent and believe in the gospel. How do people enter into the kingdom of God? Repent and believe the gospel. This is Jesus' call. How is a person saved? Repent and believe the gospel. How is a person's sin forgiven? Repent and believe the gospel. How does a person enter into the kingdom of God? Repent and believe the gospel. 
And the apostles picked this message up from Jesus and began to spread it far and wide. It was their consistent message. So that in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, when Paul is summarizing his whole teaching ministry and the teaching ministry of the apostles, he says our teaching ministry was about testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of what? Repentance to God and of faith or belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? What was the call? The call from Jesus. The call from his apostles is repent and believe. Repent and have faith. Repentance and belief are two aspects of the same event. Right? Let me say that again. Repent and, repentance and belief are two aspects of the same event. It, it isn't that somebody repents and then sometime later they come to faith in Jesus or that someone comes to faith in Jesus and sometimes later they finally get around to repentance. No, these are two aspects of the same event that happen in a person's life when they are saved by Jesus. If a person claims to have faith in Jesus but has not repented of their sins, that faith is not a genuine faith. And if a person claims to have repented of their sins but hasn't turned to faith in Jesus, that's not saving repentance. They come together, right? Two aspects of the same event, two sides of the same coin. Uh, we can represent that roughly with this drawing where when I was a non-Christian, I was running after my sin. I was in disobedience. I was pursuing the idols of the world. In order to be saved, I had to repent of that and turn and place my faith in Jesus. I couldn't grab both. A person cannot continue to walk in their sins and grab Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Right? Well, we have to turn. Both have to go on in order for a person to be saved. We must repent and believe the good news. There are times within the New Testament, as you're reading your, your Bibles, where entrance into the kingdom of God is talked about and only faith is mentioned, not repentance. Right? Some examples that you might be familiar with, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart God raises him from the dead, you will be saved. There are times within the scripture where salvation is talked about and faith is mentioned, but repentance is not. There are even more times in the scripture where salvation is talked about and repentance is mentioned and faith is not. So when Jesus says what our ministry is to be about, he says, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations. When Peter talks about how people might be saved in Acts chapter 2, he says, repent. And as a symbol of that repentance, as John was talking about last week, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. In the next chapter, Peter preaching again says, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. In Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance uh, God overlooked, but now he commands men everywhere to repent. How is it that a person comes to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? How is it that they enter into the kingdom of God? Jesus says it is by repenting and believing in the gospel. Two aspects 
of the same event that take place in our lives. And so when we teach our kids about how they can be saved, when we teach our grandkids about how they can be saved, friends, neighbors, coworkers, right, what do we teach them? We teach them both aspects of this same event, that they must repent of sins and turn to God and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Right? We, we teach them the full gospel. The other thing I want us to recognize as we look at what Jesus said here is that, oh, sorry, that's important. When only faith is spoken of, repentance is assumed. Right? When only repentance is spoken of, faith is assumed. And so there is this sense in which the, the biblical authors never would have understood these things to be separable in this event. Right? When one is spoken of, the other is assumed. I want us to also see when a person is saved, repentance and faith come for a first time and last a lifetime. When a person is saved, repentance and faith come for a first time and last a lifetime. Jesus here tells people that they must repent and believe. And the tense of the verb in both situations is a progressive present imperative. This is not a one-time event. It is an ongoing event in a person's life. A person who enters into the kingdom of God is never a person who experiences a one-time faith. It is a person who experiences a first-time faith that leads to a life lived by faith. A person who enters into the kingdom of God is never a person who simply enters a one-time time of repentance. Instead, it is a person who experiences a first-time time of repentance that leads to a lifetime of repenting of sin and turning to God. Jesus wants us to understand a person who is saved is not a person who undergoes a one-time event. Prays a prayer one time, raises a hand one time, makes a one-time commitment. He says, no, no, no. Entering into the kingdom of God is a first time of faith and repentance that leads to a lifetime lived by faith and repentance. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What is Jesus the, the Savior, the King? Jesus, God in the flesh, call us to? He calls us to repent and believe. That happens for a first time and it lasts for a lifetime. And when that happens in a person's life, they become his disciple. Right? Jesus calls us to be his disciples. Look at the next verses. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Please note that Jesus calls these men to follow him. Rabbis of this day would call people to follow the law, to follow their teaching and understanding of the law. Jesus says, no, I'm calling you to follow me. What a ridiculously arrogant, almost insane understanding that would be if he was just a guy. But because he is the Savior, the King, God in the flesh, the call makes sense that he would say, just come follow me. His call to the disciples is that they would know him, that out of knowing him they would become like him, and that they would share him everywhere they went as they became fishers of men. 
That's his call in their life. I want you also to notice that Jesus is the absolute priority in the life of a disciple. Right? Jesus is the absolute priority in the life of a disciple. Andrew and Peter, uh, they leave their money, their work, and their family and go follow Jesus. James and John, they leave their money, their work, and their family to go follow Jesus. They say, Jesus, you're the absolute priority and nothing is going to stand in the way of us following after you. We submit everything in our life to you. Absolutely everything gets submitted to him if we are his disciples. And that is precisely what they do here. Uh, Money, work, our family, aren't these the primary things that compete with Jesus for the priority in our life? And they submit all of that to him. Uh, My money is not my own. It's his And as his disciple, I simply do with it what he calls me to do with it. My time is not my own, it's his. As his disciple, I live the day day out in the way that he calls me to live it out. My kids are not my kids. They're his kids and he has simply called me to be a steward and disciple them as they grow. None of it belongs to me. It all belongs to him and gets submitted to him. He calls us to be disciples, and that means submitting absolutely everything in our lives to him, which we do gladly because we come under his authority. We submit to his authority. Look at the final verses of our passage. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished. Oh, you guys can... Enter in a little advertisement, right, for fall retreat right here. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus and his new disciples come into Capernaum. They go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and Jesus begins to teach. But he doesn't teach like the other rabbis of his day. The primary teaching mode of the rabbis of Jesus' day was to read a passage and then quote what other rabbis and teachers had said about that passage. Jesus doesn't teach like that. Instead, he reads the passage and then he tells people directly, this is what this means. This is how to live it out in your life. And he is able to speak with authority and directly because he wrote these words. Right? They're his words. He comes to the Old Testament and he says, yes, this is the word of God and I'm going to unpack it for you because I am God in the flesh. And with all authority, he unpacks the word of God for them. As he is teaching them, there is a demon that went to church that day. Right? We're told there is an unclean spirit in a person there who is a part of the synagogue. And that unclean spirit begins to have a conversation with Jesus. And do you notice the authority that that demon recognizes in Jesus? 
He knows that because he stands against Jesus as an unclean spirit, that his doom is sure. He just wonders if this is the time. Is, is this the time you've come to destroy us? He knows his destruction is inevitable. He's just wondering about the timing on it because he recognizes Jesus' full authority in this situation. He says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Throughout Mark, the Jewish leaders miss out on who Jesus is. Jesus' own disciples often don't recognize who Jesus is. But this unclean spirit, he gets it. Right? He fully knows who he is dealing with, the Holy One of God. He recognizes that means that Jesus has all authority over him and Jesus exercises that authority and removes the evil from the situation. As followers of Jesus, we come before him and we recognize he has all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been granted to me, Jesus says. And so we're to make disciples and we are to teach them, he says, to obey everything I have commanded. Right? His word has authority in our lives. Everything I have commanded, he says. His word has authority in our lives. It has authority in our decision-making as we're making our way day-to-day -day through our regular schedules. It's his word that is the primary guidance for us as we walk through our days because we're his followers. And his teaching has authority. It has authority. Now, you guys... I don't have any ability in myself, in my flesh, to carry out his teaching. Only through his power do I have any ability to carry out what he has called us to. And so uh, we, his, his teaching, his word has all authority in our lives, but we also need that authority we see in the casting out of the evil spirit in order to help us overcome sin and temptation and lethargy and laziness and devote ourselves to the word of God. Live out the Word of God in our lives. It only happens through His power and His authority. That, that's what we need. We submit ourselves fully to the authority of Jesus. What does Jesus call us to? What, what is the appropriate response to Him as Savior, King of kings, God in the flesh? The appropriate response is repent and believe. The appropriate response is become His disciple. The appropriate response is submit to His authority. I want to invite all of you, as you take one last look at these things, to bow your heads with me. Just spend a minute with our God, recognizing the call of Jesus upon your life today. What is his call in your life today? Maybe... It is to repent and believe for the first time that will last a lifetime. And if that's you today, you say, I, I want to repent of my sins, of my way of doing things, of living life my way, and I want to place my faith in Jesus as my King, as my Savior. Let me encourage you right now to confess your sins to Jesus. Encourage you right now turn from those and to cling to him as savior and king in your life 
Maybe you're already a disciple of Jesus. And as you look at Simon and Andrew and James and John and the way that they submitted all things to Jesus, the way that they removed anything that would keep them from following Jesus, God is calling you to submit in a greater way some part of your life to him. Maybe there's some aspect of your life that needs to be cut away so that you can more fully pursue him. How is Jesus calling you this morning to more fully and completely submit to his authority? Our God is so good. The greater our submission to Jesus, the more joy and fullness of life we experience. And we are so thankful for that. We're going to sing a song now called I Surrender. I just want to encourage you to continue in a spirit of submission and surrender to Jesus. Continue as you sing this song to, to pray about and think about how you want to surrender in further ways to him and to his lordship in your life. Let's sing about his goodness and our surrender to him.